verse 7 to 12, 17 to 18, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Here's the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Verse 17. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of, the, of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. <clears throat> oh boy. Not a good start. Mic test, check one, two, three. Mic test, check one, two, three. Apologies, everyone. All right, hopefully uh, we'll be fine. Uh, well, good morning, all of you. It's, uh, it's great to see you all today. It's always a blessing to gather with God's people to worship. Amen? Uh, at another church I recently spoke at, uh, it was requested that I speak on the importance of corporate worship, uh, specifically the importance of physically gathering as a community of God's people. And, and because it is such an important topic, especially in our day, given how COVID has changed our behavior, I, I decided to share this message with you as well. Uh, and next Sunday, I, I promise that we'll be back in the book of Acts. So for those of you who are looking forward to getting back into that series, uh, you know, please be patient for just one more week. By way of introduction, uh, let me share a brief history of, of doing ministry in the era of COVID. Uh, back in March of 2020, once COVID became a real concern, we were all told to do our part to flatten the curve. Uh, just Everyone to stay at home for two weeks, and you know we, we've uh, we've never seen the U.S. government you know order such lockdowns before. So people are asking, really, 
and including many of you, is it even possible for the government to be shutting down businesses and churches? Everyone had very little idea of how dangerous COVID actually was, so even the most conservative churches and pastors, you know, normally concerned of government overreach, just went along with it. You know, can't blame them. You know, we, we went along with it as well. But two weeks became two months. And then churches were still not allowed to freely meet. And it was during that time that government officials declared that worship is actually not essential, while at the same time allowing bars and casinos and abortion clinics to stay open. And that's when people began to wake up to the reality that our government was trying to play God in some way. And it was also around that time that, you know, flattened the curve for two weeks, became, look, if we all just hunker down until the vaccine comes out, then we can go back to living our normal lives. We can beat this virus. That was a sentiment. And it's hard to comprehend how we've gotten to this point in our culture today, but so many people have been living in a perpetual state of fear and paranoia. I know some pastors who actually just started meeting with their church just a couple of months ago. And the saddest part of it all is that many Christians have grown very apathetic toward God and to their own church communities. And they've grown confused even over why we're called to gather in person as a church. Is it even necessary? Are the questions raised? Is it even that important to gather physically when I can just watch service online from the comfort of my home? So today, with the limited time I'm able to spend with you, I wanted to lay out a few principles from Scripture that ought to shape our hearts. And so the focus will be on what corporate worship is and why it's important for God's people to gather together okay, in person, physically, as a worshiping community. And so the outline is, number one, the meaning of church. I wish we had more time, but it would be brief. Number two, the importance of corporate worship. And then number three, I'll be offering a pastoral plea to realign our priorities according to God's word. And, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but I'm sure there's still some of you confused over this question. Is it even that important? And so I'm hoping and praying that this message will clarify those questions for you and encourage you to be a more committed worshiper before God for his glory's sake and for our sake as well. Part one, the meaning of church. What is the meaning of church? A good place to begin uh, would be to know the actual meaning of the Greek word that is used in the Bible, which is translated in English as church, okay? The Greek word is ecclesia. I'm sure you've heard it before, ecclesia, right? And it literally means a physical assembly. That's the literal definition. It's a physical assembly. You know, when this word was first used, there was no other special meaning behind it. It was a common word that was used in both religious and secular contexts. But it was understood by everyone that ecclesia meant 
whether it's in the business world or in the religious world, it's an it's a in-person, physical assembly. But when this word was applied to the church, right, it was meant to build upon the story of God, the story of him choosing a people for himself, right, how he, he called his people out of slavery so that they could assemble, right, and worship him, as their God. And that's why I chose a passage from Exodus for us to read, just to remind ourselves of our history as God's people. Think about why God even delivered his people from slavery. He didn't have to. They didn't deserve to be delivered. But he delivered them. And yes, it was to offer them freedom and, and needed relief from a cruel and unjust Pharaoh who was a false god in that day, but it was ultimately so that they would be able to love and serve and worship the one true God in whom they were to experience true freedom, you see. They were once slaves, and now they were called to worship and experience what genuine freedom was. I'm kind of hearing a feedback here, if you can... God said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then verse 18, the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness. Why? For what purpose? That we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. That's just another expression of so that we may worship our God. And so this pattern of God's people assembling for worship continues throughout the rest of the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, where we see churches regularly gathering on Resurrection Sunday, also known as the Lord's Day, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, Paul used the phrase, when you come together as a church, dot, 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 which means that there was a set pattern of assembly. It's like when you come together as a church, as you always do, that, that's the premise, right? There's also evidence that even large churches met as one assembly in the New Testament. For example, in the early church in Acts 5, as we covered, there were thousands of believers who belonged to the congregation in Jerusalem, yet it says that they all met together in Solomon's portico, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. They all met in person. And consider this familiar passage from the book of Hebrews. And let us stir up one another toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay? And this passage, brothers and sisters, only makes sense if the basic assumption was that the church was to be an in-person physical gathering. Do not give up in meeting together was the encouragement. So what's the picture we're given throughout Scripture? Is it a church that consists of a bunch of disconnected individual p- 
people separated by great distances and, and content with carrying on their lives in such a way? Or is it a church that consists of committed members striving to love and serve one another in spite of the challenges and risks of gathering? Let me be clear on one thing before I move on to the next part of the message. Brothers and sisters, a church is definitely more than just a physical gathering. It's definitely more than that. I'm not just saying it's only that, okay? A church is meant to also scatter as well. We are to be these salt crystals that God scatters throughout the world. We're to be salt in the areas where we live, work, study, and play. But a church can never be less than a physical gathering. And that's my point. Part two, the importance of corporate worship. You know, for the Christian, when we think about worship, you know, we often think that, look, all of life is worship. And that's true. There is a sense in which all of life is worship. I get it. You know, Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship, right? So this, this kind of gives us a sense that all of life is meant to be worship. You know, that's true. But, okay, that doesn't negate God's command to the church to gather as a worshiping community. I want, you, I want you to think with me the most common reasons why people choose not to participate in corporate worship as we're doing this morning, okay? The first reason I'm going to mention is sort of a, it's a common reason even before COVID, <laughs> before COVID turned the world upside down, it was even a reason then, okay? So number one, simply because it's inconvenient. It's, it's inconvenient to gather, you know? As you all know, coming to church, it requires some preparation. You know, it, it means that you can't hang out too late the previous night. <laughs> you gotta sleep at a reasonable time. You gotta wake up on time for worship as well. Even for a staff, it's difficult, you know? <laughs> It means making sure a de decent shirt, I, had to, I iron my own shirts. You think this is easy? I hate ironing shirts. I absolutely hate it. Someone needs to invent truly wrinkle-free shirts, like truly. It's all false advertisement. <laughs> you got to prepare for worship. It means if you have a family with kids, you got to get your kids up on time. Oh, my goodness. You think that's easy? I know how it is. And not only that, you got to make sure they're fed, that they're not grumpy, because it's not going to be, like, encouraging if you drag your disgruntled family to church. You know how, how guilty that's going to make you feel? you got to be in a cheerful mood, everybody. <laughs> Let's go to church cheerfully today. That's, that's humanly impossible. You know, worship is no joke. It means if your friends want to play golf on Sunday... You got to say no. That means making Sunday worship one of your highest priorities and, and, 
essentially sacrificing everything else that may distract you from worshiping God with his people. You all know that. It's not, it's not convenient. It takes a lot of work and effort. Now, the second reason became the number one reason once COVID hit. And the reason is this. It's just, it's flat out too risky. It's too risky. You know, what if I catch COVID and something bad happens? What if I even die? There's a chance I may die. But, you know, that, that wasn't really what people would say because, you know, we all want to sound godly. You know, we all want to sound holy. We, we never say, what if, Pastor, what if, I, what if I die? You know, that sounds just so selfish, right? <laughs> so instead of saying that, your, your, your response is rather, Pastor, I, I really don't care about me. It's not about me, but it's about other people. You know, what if I catch COVID and I spread it to other people and they die? That sounds much more godly. I'm not worried about my own health, but I'm worried about the health of others. Okay, and I get that. There was legitimate reason to be concerned about that early on. And the other, other sort of variation of that would be like, well, we don't want our church to be the source of an outbreak. I mean, do you, do you think we want to be on the news, you know, on CNN <laughs> and, uh, you know, be, be just kind of be the focus of attention for all the world to see and shame? We don't want to be that church, you see. And so there are these concerns. There were these concerns. And somewhere along the way, a new reason emerged, and that is, this is, a, this is a, a radical reason, this is a very extreme kind of reason, I hope none of you actually have expressed this, and the reason is this, well, it's actually unloving to our neighbors if we gather for worship in person. It's an unloving thing, and I say that's an extreme position because to be unloving is actually to be committing a sin. Unloving equals sinful, according to the Bible. And so the claim would basically be saying that it's actually sinful to gather together as God's people to worship during these times. I hope none of you really have ever bought into that kind of reasoning. Do you think God would ever judge his people. How dare you worship me? <laughs> How dare you gather to worship me when there are these, honestly, minor risks, relatively speaking. So given where people are these days, I'm going to do my best to be as level-headed as possible okay, by trying to persuade you that as God's people, we are called to maintain corporate worship as one of our highest priorities in spite of the risks that do exist. And so to that end, let me ask you this question. When you think of corporate worship, <clears throat> who do you think the worship is mainly for? Who do you think it's for? And I hope the answer is a no-brainer for you. The, the first person that should come to mind is God, because he is our first audience, it's something that Pastor Billy emphasized during one of the seminars. God is our first audience. 
But worship is also meant for others as well. Who is it secondarily meant for? And I hope you can answer. It's for believers. It's for God's people. It's for Christians. It's for us. How about thirdly? Thirdly, it's meant for unbelievers. It's it's meant for people who are unchurched. It's for the watching world who actually needs to hear the truth of the gospel proclaimed. But in our culture today, that order has been completely reversed. That's the problem. So that churches now, they bend over backwards to first cater to unbelievers. Historically, we've called that the seeker-sensitive church or the seeker-sensitive movement. And so churches now, they, they, they want to make sure they do everything in their might to have a very comfortable, you know, very non-offensive worship service. They want to make sure that unbelievers feel like it's a place where they can come and, and not feel any kind of threat at all. So that's, that's the seeker-sensitive first audience. And then the second audience is, of course, the believers. If the believers complain about something, then you've got to cater to the believers. And then lastly, the third audience is God. The order has been completely reversed. And so when you reverse the order in that way, that's when it becomes very easy to neglect the importance of corporate worship because it's no longer about God and what he demands from his people, but it's about our own personal conveniences and whether the unbeliever thinks it's a good idea or not, whether the government thinks it's a good idea or not. Consider what 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 10 says. It's a passage that Pastor Jacob read for us. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. For what purpose? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, out of Egypt, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the call is to do what you're supposed to do. God clarifies what our purpose is in this life. God is speaking to the church here, and he's expecting the church as a corporate body to come together to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his light. This is a clear call to worship. Think about the sermon series we're doing in the book of Acts where the early Christians We're facing all sorts of pressure to renounce their faith and cease their worship of the Lord. Do you think, honestly, that it was less risky for Christians then to gather for worship as compared to now? 
Do you think it's less risky for Christians in communist China to gather together to worship? And yet, that's what they've been doing for decades. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, we all need to realize that we're called to worship not because it's safe to worship, but because our God is worthy of our worship no matter how much we're inconvenienced in the process. When you think of it that way, corporate worship, it really is an expression of faith. It's, it's faith of, of who we actually prioritize most in this life. You know, are we, ourselves, our number one priority? Or is God our priority? One pastor wrote this. When we gather for public worship on a Lord's Day, we are, among other things, declaring the worth and value with which we esteem God. In normal times when we gathered for worship, we, we were declaring that God is more worthy of our time than anything else, more important than sports or streaming or even sleep. That is still true. COVID has not changed God's worth. Before I move on, I want you to know that I'm not anti-science, okay? I married a science teacher. <laughs> if I'm anti-science, that, that would mean I'm anti-Joyce. I'm not, I'm not anti-Joyce, okay? I'm fully aware of the risks involved in gathering indoors. You know, as Christians, we, we do believe that human life is precious and worthy of protection. But that ought not translate into what we're seeing in our day where some Christians are not willing to take any risks whatsoever You may have heard that throughout history, Christians were known to sacrifice their lives in times of great hardship. But even during times of plague, this has been the reputation of believers throughout the centuries. You know, while unbelievers were fleeing their towns and cities, Christians were the ones who remained in those dangerous places to care for those who were left sick and dying. They were the ones picking up babies on the streets who were abandoned. It was their firm belief that the life God promised that he would preserve for them wasn't this earthly life, but it was a life to come, which Jesus had secured for them in heaven. And that firm belief is what made it possible for them to take such great risks and to do what they knew would ultimately please and honor the Lord. But what a contrast we see in our day. And I understand, again, that there are folks with serious health concerns. Folks with such health concerns that are serious, they should be more careful, of course, unless they're okay with the thought of dying and being with Jesus sooner than later. I understand the elderly... KM especially, they, they, I, I have no 
You know, I'm, I'm not going to go attack them at all. I, I know that there are <laughs> legitimate concerns over there, but I'm, I'm also aware of many elderly folks who have said to me, I can no longer live in such fear. If I die, I die. It's all in God's hands anyway, life and death. And to me, that's much more inspiring. You know, the vast majority of us are healthy, and, and I'm sure you know the stats, right? There's, much, there's a much higher chance of us dying in a car accident than dying from COVID. My goodness, Ella's going to be driving soon. The scary thought. There's a really high chance that she's going to get into an accident her first year. Probably because she drives so slow. That people are going to be like ramming into her back. You know, honestly, she drives so slow, it's interesting. Brothers and sisters, it's worth asking, how much do you truly value corporate worship? You know, I've shared with this, I've shared... This with you before, uh, you know, e- even when I'm on vacation, I, I, I personally do my very best to join a worshiping community. And it, it's partly because I actually enjoy worshiping with strangers, believe it or not, you know. Because, <laughs> I mean, they may be strangers at first glance, but, you know, we're, if you're fellow Christians, brothers, sisters, it's like, I'm going to be spending eternity with, with you. So you, you actually, I mean, there's so much value in that, knowing that I'm going to be spending eternity with you, worshiping our God. You know, we're, we have this special connection, this bond. We're both blood-bought through Jesus, and that's special, and I... Every time, you know, I'm worshiping with strangers, you know, in a foreign place, I'm like, this is still, this is encouraging, this is edifying to my soul. It's a, remi- a reminder of what God has accomplished for his people, for us, what an what expression of grace that is. There's something really cool about that thought. If you look around the room, brothers and sisters, you may not like everyone you see, but chances are they've been cleansed by the blood of Christ, just like you. And you are meant to be united to them as members of Christ's body forever. And that's just one reason why I love gathering with God's people in worship. There, there is, by the way, um, something very precious and sweet. When I just sing to the Lord by myself, you know, in private. I've actually sung to the Lord in this very sanctuary by myself on several occasions, right here. I mean, the the acoustics in this room are actually quite amazing, so I I sound very holy when I'm singing. (laughs) It's like it just rings the whole, it's like great. But look, when I'm gathered together with God's people, right? 
And all of God's people are singing their hearts out, worshiping God. You know, when a multitude of voices fill God's sanctuary, there is nothing quite like it. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the next level. But, you know, you've all been sort of timid. I'm kind of waiting for that day to come again where, where there would be no more timidity, where we can all just sing freely with much energy and joy. I think our church is doing a little better than other churches, to be honest. I know, but there's still sort of a lot of holding back. Our, our worship is in a way muted. I can sense it. You know, when I, I remember like being in the middle of uh, roughly 20,000 believers at, at one of the Urbana mission conferences many years ago. That was an amazing experience. You know, people were trying to be the first ones to get in so that they can, you know, be closer to the stage. You know, there's such energy and eagerness to worship. And then, you know, this, earlier this year, I was at the PC General Assembly, and, and roughly 2,000 pastors and elders were gathered. And, you know, one thing pastors do very well is they actually sing. They sing loud, you know. And it was such an encouraging experience as well to worship with people willing to energetically sing to the Lord. Psalm 63, verse 2 through 4 says this, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better. It's better than life. It's better than life. Because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Think about what that's saying. Because your love is better than my life, my lips will praise you. So my hope and prayer for all of us is that this would be our confession. Lord, because your love, your steadfast love is better than my life, my lips will praise you in your sanctuary. You know, do you think the psalmist is envisioning a private worship session with just him and God here? No. He's envisioning a corporate worship service with a multitude of God's people. That's what's in view here. And that's the day that I, I wish would come again very soon for all of us where we'd be able to freely worship with this kind of enthusiasm for the Lord and this confession that God's love, your love is better than my life, and so I will praise you. Part three, a pastoral plea to realign our priorities. Instead of just thinking about the risks that COVID brings, I want to remind you this morning that there's also another kind of risk that we need to consider as believers, and that is the risk of losing our spiritual health and vitality when we continue to treat God as secondary in our lives. When we fear death more than we fear God, when we fear the opinion of men more than we fear the opinion of God, 
When we fear earthly government more than we fear the one who bears the weight of all government upon his shoulders, then we lose our peace and joy in the Lord. And when we're absent from church over a prolonged period of time, we can even lose our faith and our assurance of salvation because our hearts will grow toward will grow cold toward God, and our affection for God's people will also greatly diminish. That's just how fragile we are as God's people. Just as people, that's how we are. We are not a strong people. We are weak. Without God, we are nothing. That is a great risk. Is that the kind of risk anyone should be willing to take, is my question as we close this message. Let me um, read an excerpt from an article written by a PCA pastor named Ryan Beast, and then I'll, I'll pray for us. The great 20th century pastor, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, was a brilliant young physician in London and even working as assistant to the royal physician. His practice of medicine brought him into contact with the highest echelons of English society. But regardless of his skill as a physician, he was deeply burdened because his aristocratic patients might be cured of a physical ailment, but they would still perish all the same. While not at all asserting that medical science was unimportant or frivolous, Lloyd-Jones yearned to see lives being saved and not simply prolonged. The truth Lloyd-Jones recognized has long been suppressed by the modern man. Death is unavoidable. Prior to 2020, the modern man had pushed the concept of death to the very edge of his consciousness such that death scarcely crossed the minds of many, but all that changed with COVID. Now, Modern society is confronted with eternal realities, and like worms caught on the sidewalk under the blazing sun, is writhing around desperately trying to numb the frightening reality of death. But as Christians, we ought to know better. For all the valiant efforts of the medical community, it has not saved a single life over the past year. Okay, and he's, he's speaking here in the ultimate sense, of course. Christ alone not masks, not remdesivir, not vaccines, has the power to save lives and rescue from the grave. When we come to understand this, when we, we, when we come to understand this, our priorities fall into a proper place, and we burn with the desire to worship our Savior with the company of folk whom he has saved by his death. Last sentence, for Christians, our personal safety is not our first priority, but the worship of him who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for speaking to us clearly through your word this morning and reminding us that there is truly no one greater than you, truly because your love is better than life itself. Our lips praise you in the sanctuary as we gather together with your people. Forgive us for taking you for granted 
and for fearing death more than fearing the one who conquered death once and for all by shedding his own blood to secure eternal life for all who would believe in him. May your grace renew us today, and may you fill us with great joy and confidence in our risen Lord and Savior. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, Pastor Jacob will now administer communion for all of us. So I ask that you prepare your hearts. As a minister, one of my...